This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we're back, and so is the NLL. Week one is just two weeks away. The Wings and Seals, well, they're officially official now. Corey Small has a new home in Buffalo. Dan Coates makes his return to the Colorado Mammoth lineup. And with camps already underway, we're seeing our first cuts. All that more on OTCB. Harris back over to Evans. Evans, far side, shot by Jones, scores! That's number four. Actually, that's number five. Harris gives off. Hellier fires. And a stop by Shiliano again. His 22nd save. Over now to Jamison. Up top to Jackson. Jackson turns it to... Reza Terrence who shoots and scores. Joe Reza Terrence, it's 9-6. High ball, quick pass, just good ball movement here. McCready, and he's denied by Poulin with a low stop, gets his own ball. McCready scores! Stutter step, over to the other side, there's a shot, scores! Holden Catoni ties it up, it's 11-11. What is good, lacrosse fans? Welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. My name's Teddy Jenner, and we are back, and so is the National Lacrosse League. And that was just a little glimpse of what things sounded like last year. Maybe get you a little pumped up, as it were, for the 2018-2019 season that is really just a week and a half away. Not this Saturday, but next Saturday, the Wings will kick things off against their longtime foes, the Buffalo Bandits. I can say longtime foes. We can say that because even though the organization left, went to New England, the Wings still existed. There will instantly be that hatred again between the two fan bases. And I'm actually kind of glad that that's the game that we get to kick off the season with just kind of maybe makes it a little apropos, as it were. And if you can start off in a city where you're going back to, just kind of makes things seem just a little more right. We're back in Philly. We're going to San Diego. We're going to have teams in the Atlantic. And maybe... Just maybe my spidey senses are telling me there'll be a team in New York. There will be a team in New York. We'll talk about that um, in a little bit later. Uh, As always, if you're new to the show, welcome. If you are a longtime listener, welcome back. Uh, My name's Teddy Jenner, as mentioned. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. It's a lacrosse show. That's a lacrosse pun. It's probably a bad one. Uh, You can also email me. Teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Always 
Love having conversations with the fans out there as you listen in, sending me your questions, comments, concerns, your thoughts. How do you feel about the league going to San Diego and Philadelphia? Uh, how about you? How do you feel about Halifax, the situation with Rochester, uh, the league going back to New York? Please let them be the New York Saints. I know myself, Chris Fox, Paul Tutka, and many others are really hoping that they go back to the old St. Bernard logo, uh, one of the iconic M-I-L-L logos that made a bit of a transition to the NLL and was around for a little while, um, but ever since we lost the Saints, really hasn't been the same. So uh, with news of Seattle getting an NHL team, there might be possibility of the NLL going to Seattle. That would be kind of cool, but let's not put too many carts in front of too many horses as we get things going. Uh, Dan Coates of the Colorado Mammoth, will join us as will Corey Small of the, yes, Buffalo Bandits. By now, I'm sure you all know the trade that happened with Vancouver and Buffalo. Mitch Jones and two draft picks coming west. Corey Small and two draft picks going east. It was a good deal for both teams, uh, and both teams are looking to go ahead and move forward. With... The first week of NLL camps in the books, we're already starting to see some um, cuts and some releases of players. Uh, the Colorado Mammoth have gotten down to 32 players. Vancouver's gotten down to, I think, 30. Um, not too many notable names being released as of yet, and as the week goes on, uh, we'll see some more names being let go. But I think general managers and coaches are in a very, very tough position. And that is trying to build a competitive lacrosse team from day one in the span of essentially six practices, if that. Because most of these teams are maybe going to have one or two practices a weekend and a scrimmage against somebody. Uh, We saw Toronto and Saskatchewan scrimmage. We saw... This weekend, Toronto and Colorado are going to scrimmage. So there is a short window for general managers, and the players are doing all that they can to make decisions hard on them. And as a general manager, you have to be thankful for that and hate it at the same time. Because if your job was easy as a general manager, that means some guys didn't come into camp prepared and in shape and mentally ready, or maybe you just already had an idea of who your team is and you have blinders on of what possibly is out there. Now, I'm not saying any GM has blinders. Far from. All these guys are doing their due diligence, but they are in a very tough position. Um, When you look at it, there's obviously questions. You go with guys you're familiar with. Do you go with guys who've been in your system before or maybe guys that your coaches are familiar with from their summertime gigs coaching junior or senior so there has to be a lot of communication between players coaches GMs up and down the line to make this quick start to the season as effective as possible and I truly believe unfortunately for a lot of street free agents and late round draft picks maybe this isn't their their year and the CBA negotiations really hampered them A lot of your first and second round draft picks will obviously have very good shots. 
But in this short time frame, I don't think you have enough time to develop a kid in camp to have him ready for day one. And this is a conversation I had with a few people on Twitter is that the strike, or not the strike, the delay in the season and the cancellation of the first two weekends of lacrosse and the shortened training camp, it hurts street free agents, it hurts late round draft picks, and it hurts the American player because a lot of those guys that are new to the box game need those three or four weeks of camp to really pick up the game. And if they're not ready, they can fall behind quickly. But the one thing that I said to a lot of people is that generally the Americans who have succeed in the indoor game either are ultra high IQ players or have played some box before, whether they grew up um, near the border and spent some time playing in a Can-Am league or have gone have come north and played a summer of box across, whether in junior or senior, maybe they've been playing in the Colorado Collegiate League. Obviously, we saw Trevor Baptiste playing in that before, and so that's given him some box experience. So guys that have, like I said, a high lacrosse IQ and can pick up the indoor game quickly and guys that have previous box experience are obviously going to have a step ahead of a guy who is completely green to the indoor game. And unless they can pick up systems quickly in a short camp, they don't really have much of an opportunity. Obviously, that's where farm systems uh, can come into play. Obviously, you all saw the announcement that the NLL and the Arena Lacrosse League have a partnership. Now, obviously, with that being based solely in Ontario, it will be harder for BC players or American guys to get there because I truly don't think the ALL has the kind of backing to be flying guys in or relocating guys to the greater Toronto area so they can play in the ALL. That's one of my issues, and I know that's something um, that the league is trying to work towards is finding other routes or other farm systems and farm leagues like the ALL to help produce the next great player, the next great coach, and implement systems and grow the game through those farm leagues. So obviously that's a huge story. Um, And unfortunately for a lot of those guys that had dreams, especially with two new teams coming into the league, the shortened camp can kind of hurt their opportunity. Now next year with two more new teams coming in, that creates a bigger player pool. And looking into the crystal ball, looks like a clear path at least for the next two or three training camps. So nothing should be delayed moving forward. But it will be interesting to see how teams do go ahead and make themselves up and what general managers are thinking. And it will be interesting to see how the roster shape up when this time next week when we are on this show, um, all 11 rosters should be finalized as they have to be in by the 10th which is next Monday. So we'll be able to break down all the rosters next week and kind of give an early prediction of who looks good. And one of those teams that is already looking good are the Buffalo Bandits, the addition of Corey Small, the addition of Matt Vince, two huge additions by Steve Chugger Dietrich, the general manager of the Bandits. And I think that really puts them as one of the front runners 
in the East. Of course, out West, everybody is always going to be chasing Saskatchewan, but without the likes of Ryan Dilks and most likely Jeff Cornwall, that defense takes a bit of a hit. But as always, Derek Keenan has guys waiting in the in the wings, Matt McGrady and Nick Finley most notably, two guys that have been itching, itching to get full-time jobs. And I think Nick Finley will be an extra special story being a Saskatchewan kid uh, and a chance to get into the hometown team lineup on a regular basis. So, of course, the bullseye is on the rushes back, being the defending champions, having won three of four. Uh, you can't count out Colorado. You can't count out Calgary. You can't count out San Diego. And don't count out Vancouver. I think the West will be fairly competitive this year. There are rumors that Calgary's got some issues trying to get guys in the lineup with Westberg, Tyler Pace, and Curtis Dixon all unknown at this point in time. Uh, that will definitely hurt their possibilities if those guys aren't in the lineup for a majority of the season. That's a big reason why Mike Board went and picked up Reese Dutch off the free agent wire. Just to make sure that he had somebody to play as an offensive righty come their season opener. So it's going to be interesting, like I said, to see how these teams um, are made up and go ahead with their rosters moving forward. And next Tuesday, right here on OTCB, we will break down all of those rosters for you. Speaking of the Colorado Mammoth, last year they were without the services of Cam Holding and Captain Dan Coates. Backtrack, they both hurt their knees during Team Canada field tryouts. They missed the World Championships, and they missed the subsequent NLL season as well. Well, both are healthy. Cam Holding has been moved over to San Diego in the expansion draft, but Dan Coates is back. And he and the Mammoth were in their first training camp this weekend, just like all the other 11 National Lacrosse League teams. But it was extra special for Coatsy to get back on the floor with his teammates after having to sit the year out. And our conversation just begins with us talking about that first feeling of getting back on the floor. It was obviously good to be back out with my teammates. It was a long year. Obviously, anybody who's kind of gone through the process knows, knows what it's like. Um, it's tough, but at the same time, you learn a lot uh, about yourself. But, uh, yeah, there was obviously some excitement to be back out there and, uh, you know, certainly to compete with my teammates again. What did you learn about yourself? Because I know you had to take on a bit of a different role. You, you were watching film and you're doing some scouting during games. What did you learn about uh, not only yourself, but, uh, you know, your team and the National Lacrosse League while you had to sit out? Uh, I think for myself, just being patient. Um, I think, you know, at an early age, I've always been kind of a go-getter and, um, this this injury or the recovery part of it certainly made me just be patient with things and um, you know I, I asked a lot of questions through the whole process and um, I thought I was in pretty good shape before and um, you know when you break down a knee you, you certainly learn more about yourself physically and mentally but um, yeah I took on a different role um, I was very fortunate enough that uh, management and our coaches last year allowed me to, to have that opportunity and uh, you know, just to have a press box, it's a different view. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. you want to be on the you want to be on the floor, but um, you learned a lot just seeing things from a different side side of things, and uh, you try to help out your teammates as much as possible and give some insight to the coaches or management, whatever, whatever they ask me. So that was I was very um, grateful for that opportunity. Uh, obviously, I don't want to be there again this year and yeah. get back on the floor competing with our guys, but. Uh, 
you know what the league you know you talk about the league the league is getting better every every year um you yeah. know you're starting to see more teams come in uh, these kids are getting four years of college and they're they're lifting five six times a week and so the league's getting better and better and uh no, I think we're in, we're in a good spot right now. Did you ever get tired of of seeing Joel Rather's face every day getting uh, rehab all the time? <laughs> no, no, no. Joel's my boy. He uh, he was unbelievable through this whole process, and obviously I leaned on him um, throughout you know whatever I was six to nine months yeah. coming back. But uh, he, he's been awesome. Um, obviously, over the last month, I've seen him more, more and more, and uh, especially just with my running mechanics, he's been awesome. He's a man. Uh, I've been with him for coming into eight years now, and, uh, you know, I owe him a lot. Having to sit out and, and watch your team battle obviously is never easy, and it's very hard, but um, how did your relationship grow with guys like Rob Hope and some of the D guys that picked up your absence uh, while you were out? Well, I think, you know, last year, you know, myself and Cam Holding who was with us uh, the year prior, guys had to step up. Um, and so it was, you know, you saw, you know, you saw Rob Hope take on a big role. Joe Capito stepped up huge. And, and, and that was a ton of guys, you know, Taylor Stewart, Jordan Gillis, um, you know, the list goes on. And I mm. think that was, a, I think that just showed kind of what type of character we had in our room. If, you know, one guy goes down, it's who's next. And, uh, but certainly we just lean on each other. And my, and I have a pretty good relationship with Robert Hope. And I think we kind of set up one another and, um, you know, and that and that was across the board, and obviously we're a tight knit group in that room, and um, you know, it was like I said, it was one of those things that I think we could trust one another, and I think just our relationship with one another certainly grew stronger as as the time went on. Obviously, with all the CBA negotiations going on, we've had to delay camp. So you guys got at it this weekend in Denver. Uh, how was the tempo of camp um, with new faces and new coaches? Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was uh, fast-paced. Uh, it was a long weekend. Um, probably had three sessions of some fitness testing. But overall, the compete level was high. I think uh, the coaches were impressed. Um, but we know we've kind of just set the bar. That's the standard. Now we know we got some work to do. We can all never really be satisfied. Um, but I think for the most part, they were happy. Um, there's really no one that kind of stood out of place. I know the coaches are going to have to make some tough decisions. Uh, moving forward, and I think we're in uh, heading into Oakville this weekend, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I wouldn't want to be one of them right now because they're going to have to make some tough choices. But overall, I, th- I thought the compete level was good. I think uh, we can be better, but overall, I thought it was good. Obviously, um, there's been some coaching staff changes. Gilly's out, Stroopy's gone. Uh, you bring in two guys that you've competed against in your National Lacrosse League career, and two wonderful lacrosse minds in Sean Williams and Andrew McBride. How did they fit in in their first camp uh, with the Mammoth? They were great. Um, like you said, I feel like I was playing against Willie uh, probably like two years ago yeah. in summer ball. Um, so, you know, I know guys respect these guys. These guys are, you know, former captains. They've won at the NLL level. Um, guys just have a great amount of respect for them. Uh, I know, obviously, Willie's on the offensive side of things, so I just know guys, talking to guys on our on our whole side, they're excited. And then Breyer, um, he's a teacher. You can see it. I, you know, first time he talked to us, I'm like, okay, this guy gets it. Um, and I think it just gives, you know, Pac Foil an opportunity to, to govern the whole team, to see, mm-hmm. you know, up and down the bench and not really worry about teaching throughout the, 
throughout the game, and, and he can rely on, on Brighter on doing that. But guys are excited. Obviously, it's a, it's a new voice, a fresh voice, and uh, we're excited to learn from them. How weird is it going to be to welcome Steve Govett back to the Pepsi Center and have him be a member of the SEALs in three weeks? Uh, I don't know if it will be weird. You know, I think for Steve, he's been, you know, a part of that organization for a little over a year now. And um, obviously they're doing great things down uh, down in California. But, um, yeah, I guess, you know, I, if someone asked me that question the other day, how weird will it be, you know, playing against Holding and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, Teddy, your former player, as soon as, as soon as the whistle goes, there's no really friends. Um, yeah. You know, you're just going out there to compete. But obviously, you know, you know, you see Steve, and he had such a big impact on this organization, and you know, left his his footprint um, with it with lacrosse in Colorado. So obviously, I think you know it would be exciting for him. But at the same time, you know, we're just focused on the Colorado Mammoth. Are you going to give holding a big chop right across the shins? Uh, maybe, maybe. He's, on those <laughs> yeah. he's, on the, he's usually tracking that. He's usually hunting down some loose balls, so maybe uh, we'll run into each other. Uh, you were heavily involved with the CBA negotiations as a uh, rep for the players and the Mammoth and across the league. Um, what was your take on the whole situation? I know you don't want to go too deep into it and, and cut ties or anything because we're moved past that, but as the process went along, what were your feelings uh, throughout the negotiations? Well, that's what it was. It was it was such a long process. I think for about two months we were basically on the phone call every single day, whether it was you know within our executives or other player ups or our own team. It was a process. But as far as um, it was a roller coaster of emotions because you mm-hmm. think you're getting something done, um, and the next thing you know you don't. So you're, it was you're trying to you're trying to do your best job to make sure your players are being heard on the mammoth and then trying to communicate what you're hearing from the execs and give it back to them. And also, you know, you're hearing rumors and rumblings around the league. And um, it was draining. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was tough. And um, just to get it done and, and move past, I think it's a fair deal for both sides. And we're just excited to play lacrosse now and put that behind us. Yeah. It, it must've been a relief when, when both sides came to the table and agreed on it. Uh, to move past things, uh, you talked about the the bright future of the National Crossing and the players that are coming in. How as excited is it as a player, uh, you know, to see two teams this year? You're probably going to get uh, one or two teams next year to see the growth of this league when when you started in the National Crossing to where it is now. How as exciting is it for the future of the NLL? Oh, it's awesome! It's awesome. I think our commissioner's done a great job of uh, you know finding the right market to put these franchises. And I think it's only going to continue to grow. And I think you're starting to see more and more Americans playing the college game and picking up, you know, a short stick and, and getting in the indoors and playing. And, you know, we're getting some bigger names from college, and that's it's huge. And obviously you're still, you're still getting a, a good uh, crop of guys up in Canada and, and playing their summer ball up there. And uh, I think it's only going to continue to grow. It's, it's exciting. Um, you know, we're, it's, it's giving me a chance to see where we're in five years. I'm excited. But, um, to see where I've started in this league to where we are now is, is a vast improvement. There is. That's Dan Coates of the Colorado Mammoth. Not too sure what they'll do with the captaincy in Colorado. When Dan was out last year, they gave the C to Robert Hope. Uh, we'll be interesting to see if they give the captaincy back to Dan or if they maybe just give him an A and let Robert Hope run with it. I would imagine 
that Hopi will relinquish the C and Dan Coates will be wearing it come their season opener on the 22nd of December against one of the two brand new teams in the National Lacrosse League, the San Diego Seals. The Philadelphia Wings, the other brand new National Lacrosse League team, kicks things off on the 15th at 1 p.m. Eastern, taking on the Bandits. Uh, also on Saturday, Black Wolves at Georgia and the Vancouver Warriors taking on the Calgary Roughnecks. Those are your first three games on the revised week one of the National Lacrosse League schedule. And when you talk about the future of the league and expansion, obviously we all know the situation with Rochester. Um, Kurt Styers is going to take the players, move them to Halifax. We don't know their name yet. Maybe the Pioneers, maybe the Privateers. But the Pagula family, who owns the Buffalo Bandits, the Sabres, uh, and the Rochester Americans, uh, they have bought the rights to a new team to put in Rochester. So the Rochester fans will still have a team. It's just not the one they've been cheering for for the past 25 years, which is a really weird feeling and thought. That after 25 years, next year, the Rochester fans will have to cheer for a brand new team. They might be the Nighthawks still. Not too sure. We don't know that, I don't think. Off the top of my brain, I can't remember them saying that they will still be the Nighthawks just with new ownership. But we'll let that just sit for now. The other news for expansion, and this goes back to before the games were canceled and we were delayed with training camp, was the inevitable announcement of a team being put back in New York, and that will be coming up on Thursday at the Bleacher Report Studios. Uh, Looks like part of the ownership groups of the Islanders and of the Nets will be in attendance Um, I believe, as my people have told me, that the Islanders own the arena and it might be the Nets who own the team. Um, It will be interesting to see how that all plays out, but we all saw the return of the New York Islanders to Nassau Coliseum where they're going to be playing, I think, like 16 games this year and how raucous that crowd was and what a crazy environment it was. I think it's awesome that they're going back to New York. I just hope that they can bring back the New York Saints, and they can bring back the fans, the passionate fans that used to cheer on the Saints back in the 90s when bubble cages and spandex and M1 sticks were a thing. I think that would be super awesome. I I think going back to Philadelphia and going back to New York are great. I think they should bring back their names. They brought back the Wings. Let's bring back the New York Saints. Just kind of makes sense. Make it happen. Make it right. We talked about the Wings opening up against the Buffalo Bandits. It will be the first time that Matt Vince and Corey Small put on jerseys for a new team. For Corey Small, this is his third team. For Matt Vince, it will be his third team. But never in the orange and black of the Buffalo Bandits. I got a chance to catch up with Corey Small, and I asked him how weird does it sound that Corey Small is a member of the Buffalo Bandits. Totally uh, hasn't sunk in yet, really. I mean, 
hasn't even been a week yet since I was traded. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, uh, I'm loving it, though. I am loving it. You mentioned in a Twitter post that, you know, as a St. Kitts kid, you grew up a Buffalo Bandits fan going over to the border to watch the old school Bandits and the Odd and, and HSBC and First Niagara. What are your memories of those old Buffalo Bandit days? Uh, you know, it was, um, I just remember the atmosphere there was always incredible, like super loyal fans and always loud and, you know, obviously the Buffalo what? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, it, was always a, it was always a great experience. And, like, I, I mean, it's kind of funny to say, but uh, obviously with, uh, with JT being our coach, like, I used to love watching him play. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of come full, full circle, I guess, in a, in a sense that I was watching him, watching him as a kid and learning from him, and now uh, I'm playing for him and uh, learning from him as a player. That's got to be a pretty cool feeling knowing that one of your idols sort of now is one of your head coaches. But this is a group that you're getting used to and getting familiar with. How was your first weekend of camp in Buffalo? Oh, it was great. Um, obviously, the organization itself, first class, and uh, they treat us amazing. And not, I'm sure every team does, but uh, and, and Vancouver always did as well. But, uh, you know, it's great to, to step in a new organization and, um, you know, be treated so greatly. and. Um, as far as our team goes, uh, you know, I think we're going to have a really strong team. Obviously, adding Vino in that uh, is a huge pickup, and um, that automatically puts you right in the mix of a, as a contender when you have him. And then, um, you know, our offensive group is just, I mean, it's kind of kind of gives me similarities to playing in Peterborough this summer where on any night you got a guy that can kind of go off. So mm-hmm. um, it, it was a good start this weekend. Uh, a great group of guys. Uh, it's going to be tough to see how they how they kind of narrow it down as we get closer to the season. But um, so far, everything's been great. Do you feel any pressure to come in and contribute right away, or are you happy just to kind of slowly work your way in? Uh, you know, I don't feel any external pressure. I think I kind of put pressure on myself to perform. So, I mean, I, I would be disappointed if I came in and, um, you know, didn't produce for them. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, I don't want to. I don't want to sit back and kind of ease into it. I want to come in and, you know, hopefully have a big game that first game in Philadelphia, and then kind of mm-hmm. build through the year. Um, I mean, obviously, there's only one ball. We've got a lot of a lot of great goal scorers, so um, we'll see how I kind of fit into the system and fit into the group. But for me, um, you know, I, I I don't expect to have a slow year, and I, I definitely want to produce and score goals for this team. That is a very high-powered offense, the likes of. Dane and Josh Byrne and Durson and, and Evie. Uh, how have you guys kind of started to gel in that first week in the camp? Is the ball just flying back and forth from side to side? Yeah, you know what? We we had a few times we were all on together. Obviously, we've got a bunch of guys, uh, you know, fighting for spots. And uh, we did get a bunch of a bunch of chances on that five-on-five set through practice. And, you know, it, it was very unselfish play. The ball was bouncing around to everybody. So, um, you know, fortunately, I, you know, I played with Sean uh, this past summer in or in uh, B, almost, almost said Victoria. In, <laughs> in <Peterborough>. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I actually played with Dane a few years back in Peterborough, and then obviously, you know, playing with Durston those couple years in Vancouver. Um, you know, him and I already have a bit of chemistry on the left side, so yeah. Uh, you know, it's not it's not like it's anything too new, but obviously there are some newer guys that we're playing with. But uh, from the looks of it so far, everybody's playing super unselfish and. You know, everybody's been really easy to kind of play with and kind of 
and kind of picked up with. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see once we start really developing some real chemistry out there, how it's going to be because right now it looks good so far. What's it like having uh, Ricky Kilgore and John Tavares behind the bench? You mentioned, you know, guys that you looked up to as a kid. Now they're being coached by you. What's their coaching style like? Uh, you know what? It's uh, it's been great. I mean, they're I, I, first time I've been part of part of this organi- organization or been coached by either guy, but they and I haven't seen them in a game, real game setting yet. But they're uh, you know they seem pretty soft spoken. They're you know they they tell you when you make a mistake. Um, but they're uh, they're always willing for you to ask questions and, and give you opportunity, opportunities to learn from them. And um, having them as coaches is great. I mean, you know, I've got nothing but respect for those guys. And, you know, they've been through the wars and played the big games and, um, you know, played at the highest level, both of them. So uh, it's one of those things where uh, there's just so much respect there that you, you just kind of sit back, um, listen to what they're telling you, and just do it because you know they've done it and they've done it right before. So, um just a just a great opportunity to have two you know amazing coaches to learn from. You started your career in Edmonton with the Rush, and then you got traded to Vancouver. Um, your years in Vancouver were uh, up and down. You know your points were there. You were having success on the floor with that offense, and your chemistry with Reese Dutch was second none. We all saw it in Victoria. Um, but what do you think was sort of holding the Vancouver club back over those years? Because you looked like a club that could compete. You just didn't really have that final piece of the puzzle. Honestly, it's hard to really put it on one thing. It, was, it just seemed like, um, you know, we weren't a cohesive group on it every night. Like there was, there was nights where, you know, our offense would come out and score 15, but then we let in 17 on the back end. And then there's yeah. nights where, the defense came out and held them to under 10 and we couldn't score more than eight goals. And, um, you know, it's tough. I mean, that's both sides of the floor have to be working together for, for the team to be successful. And, um, you know, it's not like we didn't have, I thought our coaching was great. We worked hard as a group. Uh, you know, the off floor chemistry with the guys is all great. There was no, no real egos or, or issues there. And so it's so, it's so difficult to kind of think back and, and, you know, wonder what it was, and mm-hmm. um, like even that year we did go to the playoffs. Um, I think we finished like nine and nine, so we were like a 500 team, and we had home floor advantage in the playoffs. So it's just such a tight league that um, if you're not on your game, then uh, you know you're not going to come out with a win. And I think for us, that like the years that we did do well there, the years we did we had promising years where uh, we didn't come out slow to start the year. Um, mm-hmm. That nine and nine year, I think we won our first two games of the season. It kind of put us on the right track to start start things off. And then some of the other years, you know, we went down 0-2, 0-3, 0-4, and um, then you're just trying to fight out of a hole the entire year. And you know, maybe negativity setting into the back of the mind when you're coming out to play. And uh, I think just for us, though, I think the biggest thing was just not to be able to put together a full game with with both sides of the the floor working together. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a tough thing. I don't I don't understand. I mean, I wish I had the answers. Otherwise, if I did, yeah. I probably would have done a lot better. But uh, yeah, it's one of those things to kind of look back on and have to figure out. When when the new management took over and Dan Richardson was named general manager, and and you had made the move from from Victoria back home to Ontario, how did the conversations go between you and him, and and in the process of trying to get this deal done? Uh, you know, it was it was tough. I mean, I I understand uh, 
you know, me and him, he, we, I, I don't have any complaints really. I mean, they, they worked with me from day one. Um, they were kind of put into a tough situation coming into the fold. I kind of have already were coming out with, with Doug Locker about trying to get me back to the East. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously with the new, with the new change in management, that kind of all, all changes, but, uh, Dan was great. I mean, he was receptive to the idea right away and he kind of understood where I was coming from. And, um, you know, like anybody else, family, family's first. And, um, this was something that was really important to me was to get home to be closer to family when I'm playing. And, uh, you know, I, I get their side of it. I, you, you know, Doug traded two first rounders to get me to Vancouver five years ago. So, um, I'd been the team's leading scorer for the past two years, so they needed to get some good value for me mm-hmm. in a trade, and it wasn't, I wasn't a player they could just give away, and I totally get that, and, you know, that's probably part of the reason it, it went down to the wire, but then also with all the CBA negotiations going on, that holds things up yeah. too, so, um, you know, I got nothing but good things to say for, about him. I mean, obviously a tough situation he was put in, um, and he easily could have made it a lot more difficult for me if he wanted to, but, uh, you know, they, they were helpful in getting me back east, and I, and I can't complain, really. I mean, Buffalo was the place I wanted to be. It was my first choice, and uh, and they got me there. And, um, I mean, you know, they, I think they got a great play in return with Mitch Jones. So Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, I think, it, you know, it worked out great for both of us. How is your father doing? He's doing well. He's doing good. Um, you know, he's uh, he had a, a cancer removed from his bladder in the – in the summer, um, fortunately for us, it was a low grade, so which means he doesn't need uh, any kind of chemo or anything like that. Yeah. But uh, I'm actually actually taking him this Friday. He's got a, a follow-up appointment. He has to do these kind of monthly now just to make sure that it's not coming back. And kind of, it's you know, good on good on the doctors. They make him do that every month for about two years, I believe, and then um, after that two-year mark, the visits get a little less frequent. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, he, he seems happy and. And healthy and everything's good so um you know i'm just happy that that i'm here and you know i can take him to those appointments the appointment friday and the, the appointments moving forward and, and kind of be there to help i was just talking with uh dan carey um on the show and and we talked about his relationship um and his thought process during the whole cba cba negotiations as he was a the mammoth player rep um you were oddly enough uh, the Warriors player up as this was all going on and kind of at the same time they were trying to work a deal for you. But as these negotiations went on during the off season, what were your thoughts? Um, was there ever a moment where you thought, holy crap, we may not actually play this year? <laughs> multiple, multiple, multiple times. times yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? It's, it's tough and it's, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it's a business, and you know, obviously, our owners in the league wants the best wants the best deal for them, but they feel it's going to um, continue longevity and uh, you know, increase opportunities for expansion. Um, but us as players, like our our whole our whole idea behind everything was that we just wanted to be partners with the league. Like we want, you know, our salaries to be tied to the growth of the league, and that. You know, we know this league is not going to take off next this year, next year, or three years. But you know, in five, six, seven years, if all of a sudden our we've got a 20 team league and um, you know we're filling filling arenas and got NHL owners and NBA owners and you know we just want to make sure our salaries grew at the right rate that it that the league's growing and yeah, um, obviously that's still kind of being negotiated no, negotiated how uh, you know average team revenue and, and salaries are going to be tied together. 
Um, there's an agreement that it's going to be tied, but um, what the exact ratio to growth is going to be for salaries related to team revenue growth is still kind of being decided. But yeah, it was definitely uh, <laughs> it was definitely a hectic time. I mean, you know, it's tough. We all love lacrosse, and you know, we we don't make a ton of money playing. So uh, for guys to sit out um, and you know, essentially trying to get more money down the road seemed kind of kind of crazy to a lot of guys because I know we all we all just love playing but mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day we had to kind of sit back and think what's best for the future of the league and the future players that are going to be coming in you know long after myself and some of the other guys and I think we've definitely made the the right move and made the right steps to kind of set the next uh, the next set of players coming down the road to to have a much better situation than we have not that ours is bad but um, you know this is something that most most professional, I believe all professional sports leagues base their salary growth on. So mm -hmm. um, hopefully when this league gets gets to be one of those top tier professional sports and the guys will be making some decent money. Dan mentioned that, you know, it was constant phone calls every day and, and dealing with the reps and the players and the union and, and, and the league and going back and forth. How hard is it for a player rep? to hear the voices of 24 players and collectively make that into one common thought to take to the owners? Because there has to have been times where, you know, one side of your player group likes a deal and the other side doesn't like the deal. So where's that neutral ground to find and how hard was it to find that? You know, it's tough. I mean, um, like I said, you, get, you got guys that just want to play and, um, it's tough to kind of get a collective idea of what what's best for for everybody. I just thought my my whole you know my whole idea behind it was that I was just going to speak for the majority of our group, and um, you know I just frequently kind of anytime a new proposal came in, I would I would kind of let it go to our players and hear the feedback and whatever the majority of the feedback is was how I was going to represent our team. And um, you know what for us in Vancouver it was almost unanimous that guys were, were willing to sit out and wait this thing out and get the best deal possible. So um, it wasn't, it wasn't too difficult for me. I know guys in other teams and other situations had, you know, some more vocal guys that were wanting to get this thing going, but um, you know, we've got such a, well, we had such a, I should say, I was part of such a tight group in uh, yeah. Vancouver, but um, you know, everybody, everybody just wanted to do what was best and, you know, everybody went with the majority and, um, you know, we had some really educated guys that actually took the time to, to read through the CBAs and the offers and, and the emails and, you know, educate themselves on everything that was going on. And um, so for me, my job wasn't as difficult because I think most guys kind of understood where we're at and, uh, and, and we all had very similar viewpoints, which was, which made it easy. Obviously there's a few guys that want to get things going, but mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes it's just a one-off phone call to kind of, you know, educate a guy a little bit more and explain a few little more details of the proposals. And, um, but, yeah, it, it was a battle. I know there's a lot of guys in other teams that, you know, maybe didn't have it as easy as I did. Um, and they had definitely a lot more vocal guys ready to go. But yeah, uh, it's kind of how it is in any union, I guess. And, and um, everybody's got different viewpoints on things. And, and that's important to getting what's the best deal possible. At the end of the day, we're back playing. The National Lacrosse League season will continue. Two new teams this year. The likelihood of possibly two new teams next year. How are you feeling about the growth of the National Lacrosse League and, and where the commissioner wants to take this league now? I mean, it's an exciting time for us. I mean, 
for lacrosse in general, obviously with the, the new pro field league that's kind of coming to the fold and, uh, you know, the growth of the NLL the last few years. I mean, it, you know, obviously with the CBA stuff going on, we all didn't see eye to eye, but now, now that that's all done, I can, I can, you know, Nick's doing a great job growing this league and um, the quality of ownership groups he's brought in in the last year with, uh, with Philly and, and uh, San Diego, and then we're hearing about uh, a New York franchise as well, and maybe some other ones down the road that that all sound really great and really promising. So, um, you know, this this league is primed to take off, and I think that's probably why all this stuff kind of took so long is that we all kind of see that, you know, we're on the brink of becoming a, a legitimate professional sports league, and um, it's exciting to be part of. Even though, you know, I probably won't see all the benefits of it in my career, but. Mm-hmm. Um, to be part of it right now while it's starting to take off is, is amazing. And, you know, I look forward to, to kind of hearing the announcements as they come about new franchises during the league. Your legs are still pretty young. You can make it till this league's 30 teams deep. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. I'm pretty sore. <laughs> uh, you guys open up in Philadelphia. How cool is that going to be? Um, you know, start of a new season, the first game of the year, uh, you and a new team with new look uniforms going against – the revamp brought back to Philadelphia Wings. That's got to be a pretty cool moment. Oh, it's going to be amazing. I mean, I loved playing in Philly when they were in the league when I first when I first came in, and um, it'll be exciting exciting because this will obviously be their I guess their home opener, right? So, um, I mean, it's going to be a great time for for us as a as a team, kind of you know going into a, a new rank or playing against a new team for their home opener and. Um, for me, playing for a new team, um, you know, I'm I'm just excited for the season to start. It just seems like there's so much positive around around the league right now. Um, uh, so much positive around the Buffalo Bandits and um, be able to play against Philadelphia. Um, you know, their inaugural, I guess they're not really their inaugural, but their their re their revisit to the league and uh, yeah. uh, will be will be a great experience. Over under, how many cheesesteaks are you going to eat? <laughs> oh man, I definitely got to get at least one, but probably not till after the game. And so it'll be like three. Small D. Carry on or what? I don't know. Yeah, I think you could take that as a carry on as long as it's wrapped <laughs> up still. Yeah, absolutely. Buddy, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, good luck this year in Buffalo. Uh, happy to see everything worked out for you with the Warriors and a deal was made so you can be closer to your family. That's awesome. Uh, good luck this year, and I'm sure we'll see you down the road. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Teddy. There he is. That's Corey Small of the Buffalo Bandits. He'll wear 45 with his new club. It'll be interesting to see how he fits in with that offense. You heard him talk about you know, his familiarity with Dane Smith from his time in Victoria, uh, working with Sean Evans in Peterborough, Mitch Jones in Victoria. So he does have some relationship with some of those guys. And obviously, when you're being coached by the great, one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest in John Tavares, um, your game is going to improve no matter what. And like we talked about off the start, the, the trade for Jones and Small was more of a geographical thing. Um, Jones wanted to be back out on the mainland where he's from. Corey Small had relocated back to Ontario to be closer to his family and his father. So kudos to both general managers for making the deal done uh, and just facilitating both players' needs. And 
Uh, we all know that the National Lacrosse League and the players, you know, need to find ways to supplement themselves and want to be close to family and friends. Um, and it's a league that oftentimes will make that happen. And it's just nice to be able to see two good guys uh, getting spots where they can be successful um, in teams that need their assistance um, and their skill sets. And I think it's just going to make both teams that much better. We talk about new players throughout the National Lacrosse League in these coming weeks and how hard it is for them to kind of get up to speed. Well, there's a lot of new coaches in the National Lacrosse League as well this year. Um, obviously, Chris Gill, a brand-new head coach in Vancouver. Sean Williams and Andrew McBride get their first NLL gigs as assistant coaches to Pat Coyle down in Colorado. Jimmy Quinlan has left his post with the Saskatchewan Rush. And longtime Derek Keenan friend and former assistant coach running man Jeremy Tolevi will join that group as the defensive coach. I believe that reunites the triumvirate of Keenan McComb and Tolevi as they were together, I think, in Anaheim for a year and then in Portland as well. Um, and so Keenan bringing in a guy that he's very familiar with. So we talk about players adjusting. There's a lot of coaches that have to get up to speed pretty quickly. And that's a great role for a head coach to try to find his leadership group, find the guys that he can trust, find the guys that he can be reliant upon. And that's one thing Dan Coates touched on when we were talking with him is just how important it is now that Pat Coyle can just focus on the team more. Whereas in years past when it was him, Stroop, and Gill, while Coyle was the quote-unquote head coach, he didn't stand in the middle. He was focused on coaching the D, and Dan Stroop kind of roamed back and forth, mainly more towards the front end. But now that Coyle can kind of focus his attention on the whole process and just leave McBride at the back end to worry about the D guys and Williams to focus on the O guys, that frees him up to focus on game tactics and tendencies and the chess match between the two teams. So while we look towards the new players to see what they can bring, I know a lot of general managers are looking at what their new coaching personnel can bring to the table. So much to talk about, so little time. Um, this was kind of thrown together. I've been trying to build a studio at my house, so I wasn't having to use uh, zone control here in Victoria. I'm not that smart, so uh, I'm happy to be back here uh, in the studio making this work, but sometimes I have to work around the actual radio people. Um, so my time is being cut short here, but it doesn't mean we won't be back for more. As mentioned, next week we'll be able to break down all the rosters. We'll have more guests, and maybe, just maybe, we'll kick off a chat with Smoke and Pat. All that and more coming up next week. Again, uh, thanks to Dan Coates. Thanks to Corey Small. My name is Teddy Jenner at Off the Crossbar on Twitter or email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. First one in the books. Many more to come. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, be excellent to each other. I am an alpha.